never know where life is going to take you. Some people know exactly where they want to be and go for it full throttle. Others just stumble upon it organically. And then there are those who just follow their intuition. This is a podcast about reaching your personal best through resilience, motivation, and passion. This is Mark My Words. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Mark My Words. I am Mark Schmidt and on this podcast I talk to entrepreneurs and business owners about their journey. I talk about the crossroads, kind of where everything changed for them depending on career or life circumstances. And I talk about where they are today. And speaking of today, I have a fantastic guest. I feel like I say that every week because they are all fantastic to me. But uh, today's guest, somebody who really piques my interest for a number of reasons. First of all, they're from the beautiful state of Utah, which I have not been to, but I've done a lot of workouts on my elliptical where the trainer is from Utah, and I can just tell it's a beautiful state. So that right there is something I love. But even more important maybe than that is Devin Miller, who has personally what looks like a billion different startups based on what I see on his LinkedIn profile. But the the thing that, and he can certainly speak for this himself, but the thing that Devin is most passionate about is patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And he likes to help out startups and entrepreneurs and probably a lot more goes into that than I'm even describing at this point. I should let Devin describe himself because he knows himself better than I do. But he is the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law. And that is among many other things. Devin is no stranger to the entrepreneurial world. So I'm going to let Devin introduce himself a little bit more. Welcome to Mark My Words. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty well, having a, a great time and loving life. So all life is good. Right on, same here. So everything beautiful. It's, it, I guess we're middle to late August. It's Utah, just as beautiful as it looks like when I'm doing my iFit training. Yeah, no, it, Utah is, is, is a, it's been a great, uh, is a great place to live. I love it. Tons of outdoors, lots of mountains and everything else. Uh, the only drawback is this year has been a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, hotter than normal. So we've been in a bit more of a drought. So that's been our, our main thing is uh, waiting to get some water. But luckily, it's been uh, raining the past few days and things are cooling down. It's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been pretty pleasant lately. So I, I can't complain. I love it here. Yeah, I guess it's been pretty hot pretty much everywhere in the U.S. this year. So Seems like it's either hot or flooding, one or the other. I feel like in Maryland, we've gotten off a little bit better than the rest of the country because 
I took a walk earlier. I was like, boy, it's pretty cool for considering it's like when you go on TV, it's like such a hot summer. So I personally think it's not too bad here, but it, I know it, it definitely hasn't been that way the whole summer for me and for many others. So glad it's cooling down in that uh, side of the country finally. Yep, counter blessings where we can get them. Right on. So glad to have you on Mark My Words today. And we're going to talk about your journey and going to try to keep it as short as possible because you have done everything from, let's see, you have studied electrical engineering. You are obviously a lawyer. You've done a lot of stuff. Uh, what kind of, first of all, you talk a lot about being passionate about law, but, and especially copyright law, but that's not necessarily something you started off doing. What made you start off with just, so I see here you studied Mandarin and Chinese language. How did, like, how did all of that come about? Yeah, and that's uh, probably starting back uh, probably to the beginning of um, undergraduate. So undergraduate, I started out, went to college at uh, BYU or Brigham Young University here out in Utah and uh, was studying electrical engineering. I did that for about a year and then decided I wanted to serve a religious mission for my church. So Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or nicknamed the Mormons. Um, so um, I put in uh, put in my papers, decided I wanted to serve and got a, a calling to go to Taiwan, which is Chinese speaking. So prior to that, I had no idea what China, or how to speak Chinese or anything else, but I was excited to go there. So that's kind of where I started. So I, after that year, took a couple of years off from school, went and, or went and uh, served a mission in Taiwan, learned the language and came back and was saying, okay, learn the language. Why don't I add, add it on as a second major and so, or a second degree. And so that's what I ended up doing was saying, okay, really my passion and pursuit was or stayed to, with electrical engineering. But I, I said, why I'll add on uh, the Chinese where I already have that background. So I added those on. And then the journey kind of evolved from there in the sense that once I, you know, got, I was getting towards the end of undergraduate, finishing things up and kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, you know, kind of what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was saying, OK, you know, I like engineering. I like, you know, kind of figuring out how things work and understanding it. But I don't want to be an electrical engineer in the sense that most of the time when you graduate and are an electrical engineer, you have your you work on a very small part of a very big, um, you know, very big project in the sense that you're working on a very small cog and you don't see the whole thing and you don't have a lot of impact and usually have to get a lot of experience, work your way up, be at a company for a long time before you ever start to really to have that impact. So with that, I said, you know, what are my other options? I'd still like to be involved in that. And I, so I was kind of at a crossroads in one sense, I, you know, reflected and I love startups and small businesses. And I always thought it'd be cool to be an entrepreneur and run your own business. On the other hand, I thought, you know, engineering and the law and those types of things are also pretty interesting. And, and so I kind of said, you know, I could either be do more of the entrepreneur or I could go the legal path. And rather than choosing one, I just decided I'd do both. So I went, I went off to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Case Western Reserve, and I did a, a double major or a double dual degree. I did the MBA degree as well as a law degree. And, you know, kind of since then, you know, that kind of set the tone. And really since then, 
um, every or all those steps along, I've continued to really pursue entrepreneurism, do startups, do my or start small businesses. Now I've also pursued the law, and that includes you know work or working in other law firms. And about three years ago, deciding to start my own law firm. So that's a very short or condensed version, but me in a nutshell. Wow, and you you rattled that off like I was timing you too. <laughs> so we, I don't know if we need to go quite that fast. I. I, I still have some questions about, uh, holy smokes, before you wound up in Cleveland. So mm. as far as like your mission, did you know you were going to do one? Were you like, did you know what you were going to do? How did that come about for you? Yeah. So short answer is yeah. So I grew up pretty devout, you know, I was a devout Mormon or, or a devout member of the church. And so it was kind of always had that desire to most of the time for a lot of our young men or men in the church, you end up serving a mission and go out for a couple of years. And, you know, women often do it as well, but it's kind of, it's, it's not required. It's not expected, but a people, a lot of people just have a willingness to serve and wanting to serve because they are seeing, you know, how it's blessed their lives. So that was kind of a lot of where I came at it as well as, Hey, I don't have to serve. It's my choice, but I have a desire to kind of go out and share what I feel is, you know, blessings in my life. And so it was really kind of growing up. And so when I went to BYU for the first year, when you're at that point in time, you had to be 19 to go serve a mission. So I graduated high school at 18, had a year, wanted to go start getting school, getting or education kicked off. And so that's why I did it for a year before going on. So, yeah, it was really always kind of in the cards and always decided now going to Taiwan was never in the cards. And I never even anticipated learning a language or doing anything of that nature. And so that was something that was wasn't necessarily in the plans, but going and serving and, and doing uh, doing a mission certainly was. That's awesome. I mean, that's something that coming from where I come from, I hear about it, but don't really know a whole lot about what goes into it. So that's really cool to hear kind of like your background. I, I know when I was like 19, I wound up taking a break from school for a while. And frankly, mm. I think doing something like that probably would have done me a lot of good to clear my mind and to learn about life. So I think that's really cool that they kind of put that out there for you in your uh, faith to, to do yeah. something like that. I think that's really cool. And for me, it, it was a great opportunity in the sense that one, you, you know, I got to see a different part of the world, different culture, you know, kind of get out of a little bit of probably the bubble I've lived in and growing up in a small town and, you know, having a very tight knit community. It was good to kind of see a different life, different perspective, different culture, and also be able to kind of get out of my bubble in sense of, you know, being a little bit more of an introvert and having to go talk with people and having to, you know, share what I think and, and what I believe was one where it's kind of set me up for not being scared of public speaking or to, you know, do other or share, you know, do a podcast or just share anything else because really kind of came over that fear when you're talking with hundreds of people all, every day about what you believe in, you kind of have to overcome that fear quickly. So it certainly was a benefit uh, throughout the rest of my life and in and, and, and my career as well. That's, you know, you touched on some really important life skills there because I feel, again, if I had been put in that kind of situation, I feel like, again, it wouldn't, maybe when, you know, I don't want to sit here and start dwelling and ruminating over my own path. Your path is your path, and I'm very thankful for my path, but I feel like that kind of thing, like, okay, you got to speak to all these people, 20-year-old Mark, 
I think that would have been really good for me. And, you know, to your point, it helped you to develop a lot of really important skills. So that's just really neat to hear that perspective. I love that. Yeah, so I wouldn't change it for the world. I had a great time. It was a great experience and had a lot of both, you know, personal learning and be able to help other people and serve others. And so it was a great, it was a great, great all around. Now that's awesome. So once you finished up with that, you wound up again, electrical engineering, which means you're brilliant because I wouldn't touch that. And then what, what exactly, so... You tried studying business. I mean, you didn't try, you did it. And mm-hmm. you studied electrical engineering. What exactly, I feel like you may or may not touch on this in some of your videos. And you also have a podcast. I didn't even mention your podcast that I was mm-hmm. listening to earlier. And let's give a shout out here on a sidebar to your podcast, the Inventive Journey Podcast, which you are mm-hmm. the host of. So absolutely go go find that on iTunes or anywhere else you can get podcasts. It's I, I took a listen to a few episodes and can't believe you're I was like, okay, he's got podcasts, you have over 300 episodes. So that's awesome. Yep. So I, I enjoy it and love it. And kind of I'm sure kind of your experience as well is a lot of the podcast was really started out so you know, now jumping to, to more where I'm at today, but I work, you know, with the law firm, I work with a ton of startups and small businesses. And one of the kind of the consistent things that I always found was when I was talking with them and, you know, and hearing their experience, everything else was, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a lonely journey in the sense that unless you've been through it, unless you're talking with someone else, that's also done a startup or small business. Most people don't get what it's like to do a startup or small business. They don't know what it's like to wear multiple hats and, you know, have sleepless nights and have to be, you know, do finance and do product development, do marketing and sales and be the janitor and the HR department all in one. And so it's kind of that, you know, that lonely experience. And so a lot of the podcast has really started saying, okay, you know, it'd be great to share a lot of the journeys of how the different individuals got to where they're at today. So you can one here, you know, it's not a one size fits all journey. It's, you know, not, you know, just one, one way that everybody, you know, that successful goes, but everybody has their different paths. And it's also a lot of ups and downs and it's lonely. And I always used to, I used to always say it was kind of like a roller coaster. It was kind of the ups and downs. And then one of the guests I had on one time, you know, they're saying, you know, it's really more of the whole theme park rather than just the, the roller coaster. And this is like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you get to the theme park, you know, you start the business, you get to the theme park and you're excited and you want to get in. And then you go and you ride a couple of rides and you get banged around a little bit and you get excited. And then you, you know, hey, then you, keep going and you get sick and you have to take a break because you're worn out and you're sick. And then, and then you go get on the bumper cars and get banged around and then you go have some food and you take a break. And it's kind of that whole theme park experience is really a lot of what startups are. And so that was kind of one, it was insightful. I thought it was an insightful way of explaining it, but two, it was, it was kind of loving to share the journeys that have other people have so that those that are going through the journeys can say, Hey, I'm not the only one. I'm not the weird one. And you know, that in a nutshell is one of the reasons I do this podcast is because everybody like you, you have this really cool, unique journey. And not only do I want to share it and have a platform to share it, but I like just being kind of like a fly on the wall. I know I'm asking the questions and doing the interview, but I also get a window into your life and 
so many other really cool people's lives and journeys. And it's just really amazing to kind of be a very small part of that. And I, I have loved just doing this and, you know, being a podcast host and producer is also an entrepreneurial endeavor. You think, oh, podcast is a podcast and that's true, but it's also a business. So, I mean, I guess depending on your perspective, but I think most people want it to be a business. So, mm. but, no, and I think that, you know, and I think that oftentimes, you know, I love podcasts. I listen to a whole bunch of them. You know, I listen to everything from business wars to the news to everything else. And most of what I consume, if I'm driving somewhere, I'm either listening to a book on tape or I'm listening to a podcast. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into a podcast. You know, it always sounds simple. You listen to it, but finding the ghost or guests, lining them up, finding a good, you know, good conversation processing the episode, launching it, promoting it, sharing it. There's a lot of work that goes into podcasts behind the scenes that, you know, you listen to it on the, on your podcast player and you think, oh, those are simple. It's just a fun conversation, which it is. It's a very enjoyable, but there's certainly a lot more to it as well. Yeah, there's a lot to it. And if uh, I'm sure, especially with you having all these different businesses and then on top of that, you want to do a podcast, it's a ton of work. And I know for me, working a nine to five, even though I'm currently now working from home, I still don't have like all the time in the world. I still have a job to do. So, you know, it, it does take time. It takes work, dedication, all those things that entrepreneurs need in order to be successful. And before I get back to what I was talking about originally, like five minutes ago, I do want to add that I agree with the whole theme park uh, analogy that he gave there. I, I definitely feel like it can be that kind of adventure, being an entrepreneur or running a podcast. I also know that it can, it, it's not always fun and there can be some ups and downs. I know since I started doing this, I've had two points that were pretty down where I had to really dig deep and say, okay, I gotta try to get past this and move on because I know it can be really good and really fun. So it's not all fun and games. It sounds like it's fun and games, but it's not. No, there's a lot of fun and games to be with it, but to have the or you know, to, to believe that you know, if you start your own business or you do your own thing, that it's all just going to be fun and it's going to be good times and there's never going to be any issues or worries is, I think, you know, deceiving yourself. So I think you have to be prepared to have a fun time, but also prepared for the tough times because it's all part of the deal. Well, speaking of being a part of the deal, let's talk about the deal where you decided to get into intellectual property law and decide to become a lawyer. How did that come about? What inspired you to change gears? Yeah, it, it was, I said, it was kind of, it wasn't necessarily changing gears. So as I mentioned in some brief intro and I ran through the whole thing much more quickly to kind of just set up the stage, but I was really, you know, getting towards the end of undergraduate and I was saying, you know, I like engineering. I like doing it but I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be an engineer in the sense that I don't want to be the small cog in the wheel. I, 
I like to, I guess I like too much control. It's probably the entrepreneur in me. I like to do a lot of things. I like to see a lot of, or, you know, see a lot of different inventions and have a bigger impact. And it just was kind of, you know, being an engineer sounded too boring. And so it was one of, you know, what do I do then? You know, I have a good degree, a good background, and I could certainly, I could have gone and got a job at that point and, and done well, but it was more of, you know, what do I want to do? And so that's where I had that crossroads of, do I want to be an entrepreneur, do my own thing, run a business? And answer was yes. And I've done that. But I also was saying, Hey, you know, the nice thing about intellectual property is you can incorporate, you know, one thing is, is a lot of people know is with patent law is you have to have a technical undergraduate in order to be a patent attorney. So you either have to have electrical engineering or mechanical engineering or physics or civil engineering or some, you know, some hard sciences. And so it was, it's one where you have to have that background to even qualify. And so for me, it was, uh, you know, I had an uncle at the time that was also a patent attorney working for um, 3M at the time. And now he's at General Mills. And so I kind of saw where he'd done or kind of gone the same path where he, you know, had the or technical undergraduate and then went and was a patent attorney. So it was kind of an interest to me. And as I looked into it, it was kind of the good mix where I could continue to use the engineering background for understanding the inventions, how to write them up and how to protect them. But I got the other benefit of it. I got a lot work with a lot of different inventions, a lot of cool engineers and got to see what they're doing and get high enough level that I don't have to dive into the weeds and, you know, we'd be working on all the inventions, but, you know, enough into the weeds, I really get to see all the cool inventions. So that was kind of, as I was saying, okay, I, why, well, I can do both. I can go do my own startups and I can also work with a lot of other startups. And that way I kind of get the best of both worlds where I get to do my own thing and help them. And that was kind of, so it was almost for me, it was more of a continuation of the journey of continuing forward of doing what I wanted to do and, you know, kind of continuing that down that path rather than kind of a pivot. So for me, it was kind of one continual, this is the next step of what, how I want to use my education. So would you say that being a patent attorney is different from maybe what a lot of people would envision? Uh, I don't even know if I want to say traditional attorney, but maybe what people envision a traditional attorney being like, can you explain the difference there? Yeah. And I, there's a couple things. First of all, most people's impression is that, you know, what you see on TV of, you, you know, you have the court case, you know, you get a client, you land the client and a, couple of days later in court and by the end of the week, the whole case is either solved or anything. First of all, that's not the law in general. Most of the time, every court case usually takes months or sometimes years. It's more drawn out. You don't see, you know, a lot of attorneys, it settles out of court and you have back and forth and paperwork and discovery and motions and everything else. So that's, you know, I think that's much more glamorized on television and the movies than what it is in reality. But even beyond that, you know, everybody loves to hate attorneys. You know, everybody has a good attorney joke and they always kind of, you know, always like to give attorneys a hard time. Um, you know, and so that was kind of what I think a lot, where a lot of attorneys are. So you have a lot of different types of law. You have divorce law, you have immigration law, you have what, you know, doing, being a litigator and in lawsuits, you have business law. And all of those are kind of different sets of things. But the thing I didn't like about a lot of those types of law is that people always coming to you with problems. In other words, you know, if you're getting, if you're a divorce attorney, people are coming to you because their marriage is ending. If you're an immigration attorney, people are coming to you because they're having issues with immigration or getting across the border or coming into the country. If you're, you know, a litigator and you're going to court, then they're, they're getting sued or they're needing to sue someone that's wronged them. And all of those are kind of more, very much confrontational and, and you know, and, and has that kind of feel to it. 
And I don't know that I wanted to have my life where I was always kind of having people come to me with those kind of terrible life circumstances, not being happy and not being a you know good impact on my life because everybody was mad and unhappy. And so for me, I like or or intellectual property patents and trademarks on that because it's almost a flip side. I get to come in when our clients are excited. They've got a new startup. They've got a new invention. They've got something they want to protect. They want to grow their business. And so then I get to say, okay, now let's see how we can help you out. How can we protect it? How can we grow it? And it's a much more fun part because I kind of get to play along with the entrepreneur and helping them to grow their business, which is a lot more exciting than having to deal with or help them deal with problems when something goes wrong in life. So in that sense, intellectual property for me is a lot more fun. And I don't know that I'd ever want to be those. I've, you know, I've dabbled in it. I've touched in a little bit of litigation support where they get in, they go to court. And for me, it's just really just, I love the uplifting and fun and exciting life of working with entrepreneurs. So do you ever run into anything that's like a real problem or a confrontation? Because people take patents and copyrights and stuff very seriously. So it can, at least, you know, our wonderful media can make it sound very contentious. So does it ever become contentious? Like, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, real life, like real, you know, dramatic stuff, but can it become contentious? Yeah, so yes, not on my end, but yes, it can. So, you know, as you can, there's, patent and trademark and copyright lawsuits and all over the, you know, not, not as much as maybe some other ties, but there certainly happens, you know, you to go back, Apple and Samsung have gotten gone back and forth on patent lawsuits. You have, you know, Pepsi and Coke that have gone forth on trademark lawsuits. And, you know, there's a lot of lawsuits that come about, but, you know, interesting thing with the, uh, the type with intellectual property patents and trademarks, it kind of really splits between what's called a prosecutor and a litigator. You know, a lot of times prosecutor on television kind of they use, they use you know, in, in is the same of your prosecutor, your litigator, you're going to court. But in, in within intellectual property, prosecutors really are more of the people that help you get the patents and the trademarks and the copyright. So they're helping you work it, or with the patent and trademark office to secure those rights. You're arguing back and forth with an examiner. You're helping, you're working to convince them of the patent ability or the trademark ability what you're doing. So in that sense, that's typically what I do. Now, on the other hand, and we have, you know, I have um, some friends and some other colleagues that are our litigators and that's where they go out and enforce it. Now is, you know, the other end, now you have the patent or the trademark and you're either going out to enforce it against somebody else that's infringing on it or somebody else is claiming that you infringed on theirs. And so it really splits. And usually with attorneys with intellectual property, you're either a prosecutor or a litigator. You're either working to get the patents or you're working to enforce them. And you typically don't mix a lot because it requires quite a bit of expertise and skill set to do either. So it's hard to make that, you know, to do both of those well at the same time. Interesting. So you are where you are today. You have your own law firm among other things. Did you feel, cause it looks like you worked with a few firms before going out on your own. Did you feel that you needed to have that experience before you went out on your own? Yeah, looking back, I think it was great. I don't know, you know, I could try and say that, oh yeah, it was part of my plan and it was really, to some degree it was. 
I think getting that experience and, you know, getting some mentorship and some people that have done it longer and seeing how, what are the best practices for other law firms and for companies, you know, and I worked for client, when I worked for some of the larger law firms, I had clients that included Amazon and Intel and Red Hat and Ford and others. And so seeing how they do it on a much bigger scale and grander scale and what their good practices are and what they do well, that was certainly very insightful to get that mentorship and experience before I jumped out of my own. Now, the other thing that was also nice is I also saw what a lot of the law firms didn't do well. And I said, you know, this is areas where law, the law legal field in this area could improve. And so, you know, we can, one thing, you know, one thing it was customer service. Law firms are horrible about customer service. You know, they, most of the time, the industry averages, if you try and reach out to an attorney, doesn't matter if you're client, your prospective client, if you have an issue or anything else, anytime you reach out to an attorney is three to five days. So you can reach out to them on Monday and you might hear back on Friday. And, you know, that's a terrible customer experience for any other industry. And yet, legal industry, it's almost an accepted norm. And so those are the kind of things I'm saying, you know, why is the industry this way? And it's really just the, that's how law has always been. And so why, you know, why change it? Or, you know, just that's what everybody's trained to do. And so when I went to start my own firm, I'm saying, okay, do these things make sense? Do they, do I like these things? And what are the things I don't like? And what are the things that can be improved? And then that's, it gave me a lot of insight as to how to take the best pieces from what I learned and also <clears throat> what issues to address that all the other law firms really aren't. So I loved it. And I would definitely, I think it's great to get experience before you go out on your own. And speaking of going out on your own, so you got your experience and you learned and you got to a point where you said, I think I can do this on my own. And I think I can not only do that, a couple other things. You got a lot of things going on. Hmm. Uh, what was the experience like transitioning from working at a firm, working for somebody? What steps did you take? How long did it take before you were actually out on your own? Yeah, so a few questions in there. When I looked at it, you know, there is a big difference between having, you know, working for someone else and, and at a law firm and always having, an, you know, a managing attorney or a partner or someone that you can report to, you can ask questions to. If something goes wrong, they're ultimately going to, you know, help you to fix it. When you go out on your own, you don't have that safety net. It's kind of removing that safety net. Now you are the person in charge. And if a client gets mad, the buck stopped with you. You can't go running to an, a partner. If you have a question, you have to figure it out. And, you know, sometimes and I'll still work with the attorneys that I know and I have good er, er, network and I'll still bounce ideas off of them. But it's a much different thing because now you're supposed to be the expert and you're supposed to know everything and you're not you're not able to go and have that person that's just right next door because you're the one that's that's running it. And so in that sense, it's always a bit scary. You know, it's a bit different in the sense that now you're in a much different situation to where you're having to take control of things. On the other hand, it's really fun because now I'm saying, you know, with my own law firm, I don't have to go and ask them if I want to try something new and, you know, update a system or implement a new way of doing things or, you know, try something out new or try an idea or, you know, how we do better help the clients or how we do marketing or sales or anything else. I get to decide like there is no one else that I have to go and get permission. It doesn't have to go to a committee. It doesn't have to go through multiple approvals. And, and then you have to work and, you know, get everything. I, I can decide one, you know, something today and get started on it by the end of the day and starting to work to implement it, which I find really fun and exciting because I think it allows you to be much more nimble and ability to pivot and adjust versus what is a larger law firm that they have a lot more, 
you know, decision by committee, which decisions by committee usually don't work. And if they do, they take a long time. And on top of that, so as an entrepreneur, you learn a lot because you are, you know, calling the shots. As you said, it all comes back to you. And I know I've learned a ton in the years that I've been writing a blog, podcasting, and I feel like in addition to the law firm, you've also started Snappy Solutions, video to content. And I feel like some of this stuff is an extension of not only your expertise as a lawyer, but also as just a content creator. And mm. so what what role, it looks like video to content is a pretty new venture for you. What inspired you to say, I can help professionals with their video content? Yeah, so that one was really out of just a solving an internal need ourselves. So, you know, intellectual property. So I run the law firm. And one of the difficulties, you know, everybody, whether you're in the legal industry or anything else, you're always best way to, you know, one of the best ways at least to get new clients and to um, keep clients is to put out content that helps with SEO and ranking more. It also, you know, gives a newsletter. So you're continuing to remind them of their services. It answers questions they might have, but gives them, a new, you know, new things that they should think about. And so it's really beneficial. And yet, the difficulty is, is have I have a busy enough day that I, it's hard to find a, a lot of time to sit down and write out a long article and think it through and research it. And, you know, I can say, well, I could hire an attorney or someone else that could do that as well that has the expertise, but then I'm going to have to pay them attorney rates. And that gets pretty expensive pretty quickly to pay an attorney to write down, you know, to, to write an article. And so it was kind of, and yet on the other hand, I, I tried some other services and tried some other paths. And the issue I always found is, you know, telling someone just, you know, someone else is a content creator to go write, you know, an article about trademark law or patent law or other things. There was too much of an expertise that needed to be done there. It was too much. You needed to have enough background and experience to really write a good article. And if you didn't have that background and experience, you wouldn't be able to write it. So I was kind of looking at how do I solve that problem internally just so we can get content created. And so what we started to, what I came up with and works really well, at least for us, is that we said, okay, you know, what, what if I could split, you know, split the difference a bit, I'll sit down and I'll record a, you know, somewhere between a five to 10 minute video, you know, talking about a, t a subject and a topic, and then I can, you know, talk about what the, the points of that you need to know and, you know, answering all the questions. And then I can take that video and turn it or give it to a content creator that they can take it into a, a blog article into written content. And that way, you know, it solves a lot of problems. Now you have video content that you can chop up. You have video content, you can put the blog, you can put on socials. You also have a written, you know, written blog that you can um, have all of the information and you can get good SEO and all and, and, and blog articles and that. So it's really kind of solving that problem saying, well, you know, if I have this problem, I bet a lot of other people have that problem too. Content creation is always a struggle for everybody and finding the time and sitting down and figuring out something to do it. So that was really the genesis for, you know, content or video to content, um, you know, video to content.com was just to say, why don't we just make it easy that you can go to the website, you know, same as what we do, record a five to 10 minute video. We do all the rest and we turn it over to you. And so that was kind of just a, our need needed to be solved. And if our needed to be solved and we already got 90 or 95% of the way, why not turn it into a business and offer it to other people? And of course, speaking of being an entrepreneur and helping the people, and we talked about it being a lonely journey, but 
I have to imagine with everything that you're doing that you have also needed to expand and have some kind of support and some kind of staff. Now, is, is that something that you have at this point? Yeah, so I've got great or great people on the, the various teams and the businesses I run, which I think is the only way that I could even come close to being successful on any of them. If, if I ever am successful, which hopefully I am, I think I am, but you know, to be successful, I think you also need to have people that you can trust that you can, you know, for me, it's, I can give direction. I can give insight. I can say, here's the places, direction we need to go and here's how we need to do it. But then I need someone to execute in the sense that I can't, I can't both have all the ideas, give the direction, do the leadership and, and bring in the clients and do, to be the face of the company and run it all. And so I have to be able to say, where is my value? Where is the things I can add the most in? And where's my expertise and specialty? And then for those other tasks that, yeah, probably I could get done if I had enough time and effort and ability and, you know, get through, but I, it, it would hold me back on a lot of the businesses. And that's where I've started to bring on the team members. So I have a couple on the marketing team. I have other attorneys. I have other people that are engineers and software programmers and all of those things that are really helping me to implement a lot of the businesses and the ideas and the things that I come up with and help me to make them a reality. So I think without that, I wouldn't be near as far along as I am today because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the hours to, to get to where I'm at. That's awesome. I know on my end, and I think you have a different experience, not only in entrepreneurship, but just in life. It kind of sounds like you just grew your business and we're like, okay, it's time to take that step. Whereas with me, I have just a podcast, which I'm not minimizing that, but I have a podcast. And at this point, I'm kind of like, ah, I have all these skill sets. Like I went to school for broadcasting and media. So I, in my mind, I feel like, well, I can do this and I can do that. And I know eventually if I want to grow more, there's going to come a point where I'm going to need to maybe hire somebody. But mm. there's always just that little bit of fear in my mind of like, you know, because I, I like having the control. And I mean, I guess you still have control if you staff, you know. I guess if they want to stay employed, they should probably listen to your guidance. But did you ever have any uh, reservations about hiring anybody or were you just like nope this is the next step I'm doing it I'm cool oh absolutely I had reservations you know that was one of the probably the harder things is when you know when you get to that point backing up I think most entrepreneurs or people that do startups and small businesses think they're the smartest person in the room and they're the one that can do the best job and you almost I think have to have that mentality because if you thought hey somebody else could do it better than I could or somebody else is smarter and can figure this out you would never dive into doing a business because you'd always think somebody else would be doing it so I think you have to have that mentality but it, it works against you as your business starts to grow and as you're looking to bring people on because that same mentality is well I can do it the best and I you know if oh if I bring someone on it's gonna I'm gonna have to train them and they're probably not gonna do it as good and it's not gonna get done as well and so you know there's always kind of that 
that hurdle of you're saying, well, why don't I just keep doing it myself? And yet you, what you'll find is if you try and do that, you're going to limit the size of your business. And that's kind of where I got in. I just kept finding out, Hey, there are all these things I want to implement. I want to do, I just, man, I don't have the time, but I think it would really help the business. And so I had to say, okay, I can either keep doing it myself. I can kind of hold tightly and, and continue to do it. And it's going to slow the growth of the business, probably not going to be as successful. And it may even cause a failure or, you know, or I can start to carefully and you know bring on people train them up and, and make sure they're the people you know who i want to bring on now some of the hires have been awesome and they've been great and other hires have been you know not as good and you learn kind of the lessons and i think that everybody has to go through that no matter how many books you read or how many people you talk with you know everybody is going to tell you how to do hiring but until you've gone through and just learn some of the way things that you lessons you need to learn and the things that you know you don't learn any way other than experience you're not going to do that so for me i always kind of found if you know if i can if i'm getting to a point where i think i can bring on somebody that can do 80 percent of the job as well as i think i can do myself now they may do it a whole bunch better but at least if i think okay i could turn this over and somebody could do 80 percent as well as i could then i need to turn that over and find the things that somebody else can't do 80 percent. that i'm really going to be the one that has the expertise and the experience and that's where i had to start doing it the other thing is, is, you know, once I bring them on, it, it's not just, hey, I'm going to bring them on, tell them what to do and turn them loose. It's kind of, you know, you give them a bit, a bit of rope and you let them start to figure things out. And if they do a good job, you give them a bit more rope. And if they, you know, mess up or they do something that's incorrect, then you pull, you know, give them a little bit of less rope. And so it kind of allows them to grow into the, you know, slowly turn over things, make sure it's done right, and then grow into the position. And then it allows you to gain trust in them rather than just turn it over all at once. So did you know or get any good advice on how to actually start hiring? Did you try the Upwork route or did you find actual firms like in your area or who work nationally or even internationally? How did you go about figuring all that out? Trial by fire. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um no, I mean, how did I figure out hiring? You know, first thing, and I think a lot of people do is you turn to your network of people that you know and trust to one, see if anybody's available or if they're not available, see if they, they have any people that they trust or their good recommendations. And I think that's always a, a great place to start out with. And that was, it was the same for me. You know, when I was looking to bring on the first attorney that, you know, besides myself, when I started the firm, it was, I went to, you know, somebody else that I had a good relationship with that I knew well and said, Hey, do you know of anybody that's looking? I said, yeah, these are a couple of good people that I know that are looking or they're looking or transitioning or anything else and so I reached out to them and one of them was a great hire one of them was a good hire and then they were so good that they went somewhere else and then they're now working for another business because they were pursuing a different passion but that was kind of where I started but I you know one of the lessons I learned as I was going through that trial by fire is you don't want to make no matter how urgent it is you don't want to make a knee-jerk hiring or decision in the sense that a lot of times you get to a point in the business well i just need somebody you know we've got so much to do and we just can't keep up and so you go hire the first person with the polls that you know that shows up for the interview and yet you know making a decision you know a, a, a decision without thinking it through and without slowing it down those are the times you make the biggest hiring or mistakes and when you bring on people that don't work out and don't fit well and yet i found just the opposite if i slow the process down you know, and I you take some time and you do multiple rounds of interviews and you talk to them and do it in different settings and kind of see, how, you know, how whether the person is competent, whether they do, do a good job, whether they'll fit the culture, that's where you get the best hiring decisions. So short answer is it's a trial by fire. It's things that I've had to figure out, make the mistakes along the way, learn from them, figure out what works for us, what doesn't work for us, what we're looking for, what the job description is, what we should, you know, how we should present it and then, uh, and then and try and hire the best people we can. 
Well, speaking of uh, the best people that you can find, and I don't know if this is a good segue. I'm trying, but <laughs> I want to go back because I know we're, uh, I don't want to keep you on for two or three hours here, but <laughs> I do want to talk to you a little bit about what you're actually doing with Miller IP Law and who's who's coming to you? Like what kind of startups and businesses are coming for your help? Yeah, so when I started Miller IP Law, it was really one of the motivations of leaving. And I, I was well compensated. I was you know, well employed with some of the other firms and it wasn't that I couldn't have kept on with them. But what I really found was you know, I kind of looked and said, you know, when I'm working in those other firms, I'm working with the big clients. I'm working with, you know, a lot of the clients and, you know, it's fun to, you can toss the names around and drop names and, you know, everybody knows who you're working with. But when I step back and said, you know, what I really, the type of clients I really love to work with are startups and small businesses. And a lot of law firms just don't focus on there. They're looking for the one big, you know, the big clients that have a lot of reoccurring revenue and that can pay a, a very high rate. And that's their business model. And I definitely get it and respect it. But I was saying, I want to work with the type of client I want to work with that I really enjoy that are fun that you can have more impact. And that was the startups and small businesses. So when I started and until this day, Miller IP Law is really focused on helping startups, small businesses. That's everything from a solo inventor, somebody that's just built a prototype to, hey, you've got a little bit of money, you're bootstrapping it. Maybe you got investor dollars or you you know got the business going and have a bit of recurring revenue and, you're, and now you're starting to grow. Those are kind of our sweet spot where we're really looking to help those startups and small businesses as they get going and as they're growing to make sure that we're helping to both help protect their business as well as build in assets and so it continues to create value value for them as they move along. So well, that's kind of where we where we focus. And then, you know, kind of within that, we help with, you know, patents for their inventions and trademarks for their brands and copyrights for the creatives. And we do some LLC for in business formation. Um, we'll do some, you know, contracts or like NDAs and IP agreements and other things, and really just kind of helping them what they'll need to do the, or for their business to protect and grow it as they continue forward. So what should somebody walking in or maybe these days dialing in to uh, talk to you about a patent or a trademark or copyright, what Mm. should they know before they enter your office? Yeah, I mean, every, you know, the, Probably a bit, the attorney answer, you know, this is a complete sidebar. You know, if you're asking an attorney, you know, if you, you're, you're talking with a good attorney because their answer is always, it depends, which there's a lot of truth to that. And so it always depends on the circumstances as to what their business at. But I think that a couple things that they should always know. One thing of the misconception that people always think is, hey, if I go get a, all I need to do is have a great idea and I'll go get a patent and then everybody will be banging down my door to get a license from it. And I won't have to do anything and I'll just make lots of money in Occasionally, that's true. And yes, you can. But most of the time, you know, is really you have to build a business around you have to have a business that you build the intellectual property around. You don't just go get a patent or a trademark and then you're going to just make lots of money. So I think having that realization that with all businesses, you're going to have to put in the work to build it, to grow it, to, you know, to figure it out and to build the client base to get the sales, do the marketing. And that's all part of it. So I think that, you know, don't just going, going into a, uh, an attorney thinking, Hey, I'm, I'm just going to make it, you know, it's going to be kind of the get rich quick scheme it is a misconception that they should be aware of. And then I think the other thing that oftentimes is that 
hard for startups and small businesses is they always have more things to spend money on than they have money to spend. And so they're always saying, you know, I've got, I, I can either make payroll or we can buy some products or we can keep, or pay the rent or we can do intellectual property. And you're always having a lot of things competing for your money and for your budget. And so, you know, the thing that oftentimes they'll do is that they will put off um, put or put off or for too long going and talking to an attorney because they're saying, well, I'm going to go in their office. They're going to charge me as soon as I walk in the door. It's going to be a few hundred dollars. And they're going to tell me they can't even help me or their fees are going to be so expensive that I can't even do anything and it's not worthwhile. So I'm just not going to worry about it. And maybe someday and I'll get down the road and they wait for so long that then they start to miss opportunities and they're no longer able to protect or to grow or they create issues to where now they're getting sued or those things. And so probably the best thing is even before, you know, as you're getting started, Talk with an attorney, you know, get a, at least a game plan of knowing when you should be doing things and what things are going to cost and what you should consider and what that strategy is and what that game plan is. Because even if you can't get started today, you say, okay, I can't do it today, but in six months or a year, here's what I need to be thinking about or here's what I need to be considering and here's how I need to tackle it. So you can build that into the game plan. And so those are probably kind of the two biggest take, takeaways is, is for uh, particularly for startups and small businesses is one, it's not a get rich quick scheme and two, make sure you have that plan in place and at least know what your roadmap is. So basically, it's not a smart idea for me to come to you and say, hey, I have a cool name for a business called Mark My Words, but I haven't made any episodes yet. I haven't done anything, but I want a copyright, trademark, and patent. Boom. That's, that's like a terrible idea. <laughs> I would, you're welcome to come talk to me and I'll give you some thoughts and some strategy. But what I'd probably say is, you know, it, it, I'll wait till you, you know, but until you get serious and actually build a business and get something behind it, it doesn't make sense to invest a whole or spend a whole bunch of money in an attorney now. You also, you know, got to consider you don't want to wait too long. And so it's just getting that timing and sitting down and figuring out. But yeah, if all you said is, I've got this great idea and I'm going to build a business. Well, have you done anything? What's the business plan? I don't know. How are you going to make money? I don't know. What's the, you know, who's a customer? I don't know. You know, kind of have those, all I don't know, questions. And you say, well, you know, we're happy to help you out and we can certainly provide service. But if I were in your shoes, it's probably too early. So short answer is, yeah, probably be a bit too early. But once you get going, I'd love to help you. Well, I appreciate the, how can I put, you, you, your, your response to that was very respectful. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, no, I mean, I, cause I get it a lot and I, I get where it is. And, you know, the, the, one of the most exciting times as an entrepreneur is when you first have that idea, when you get excited about it and you want to get going and you're saying, okay, now what's the next step? And you often want to jump 10 steps down the road because those are the exciting things rather than sit down and, and lay it out. And so, you know, I always try and, best or try and give the advice to startups or small businesses as to what I would do in their situation rather than just what some, you know, makes the, my business the most money because I figure in the long run, if I help them to their business to be successful and give them the best advice in the long run, it will definitely pay off. And that's exactly why I think I presented that that way. Cause if somebody is listening to this and they have a great idea and they like what they're hearing, they can understand that, look, it takes more work. You got to at least have some kind, you know, go on your computer and create a graph or something, you know, put something together before you take those steps. So I guess not only does that help me learn, hopefully it helps somebody else learn. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Plenty of learning to go around. 
So is there anything about entrepreneurship or patents that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Because I know we're getting a little short on time. Oh, there, uh, that's, a, that's a conversation that I could go on for hours and pro I'd probably be the only one that find it interesting, but I could talk <laughs> about it for a while. No, I mean, I, I think that we've hit on a lot of the big things. I mean, I think that, you know, maybe is it to put it, uh, kind of a bow on it, if you're looking for intellectual property, you know, for, first figure out, there's a lot of times where people come in and they'll say, I, I got this great invention and, you know, it's really cool. I need to get a trademark on it. And then it's like, well, no, you actually need to get a patent on it. And so do your bit of homework, you know, and this is a quick introduction to the audience. Patents are for inventions. If you invent something that does something, it's for a patent. If you want if you're creating a brand, name of a company, a, you know, name of a product, a logo, a catchphrase, that's a trademark. If you're writing a book, you're doing a podcast, something that's on the creative side, you know, you're doing a sculpture, you're doing a painting, anything of that nature, that's a copyright. So kind of at least start with that frame of mind and you'll probably be ahead of everybody else. And then just start to do a little bit of your homework. And that's probably as good a takeaway as I could have. Fair enough. Well, this is now your opportunity to tell everybody how they can find you, whether it's on social media, website, how they can work with you, go for it. All right, yeah, so a couple of ways that they can reach out to me. One is I'm big on LinkedIn. I Most social medias, I know I have, we have accounts set up and I have a presence. I don't engage with them as much directly. I just don't, they don't resonate with me as well, but I love, or I love LinkedIn. So if you ever go on and, you know, find, look for Devin Miller or Miller IP law or Devin Miller patent attorney, I, I'll, I'll pop up pretty easily. Um, but definitely if you want to connect or find out more about me, connect up with me there or follow me, you know, get or see a lot of the content. We share a ton of information there. That's always a great place to connect. If you want to find out more about the law firm, I'll give you a couple ways to find out there. One is if you just want to find out generally about the law firm, what our prices are, what the process is, we have a ton of content, start to kind of get familiar with things. You can go to lawwithmiller.com, um, all one word, lawwithmiller.com, and then you can uh, go and check us out. Now, if you want to do a one-on-one -on -one strategy session with me where we can chat about what, you know, more specific about your business and what you should be considering and, you know, the ups and downs and pros and cons and when you should be thinking about it, what's it going to cost and have that one-on-one -on -one session we do offer a free strategy meeting, free of charge. You can come or either do it via Zoom or come in the office we, or a phone call, whatever works best for you. And we'll all sit down with you and, and chat for 15, 20 minutes about your business and what you can think of. Easiest way to schedule that is to go to strategymeeting.com. That links right to my calendar. You can grab a day and time that works for you, set it aside, and we can have a great time to chat. So lawwithmiller.com for the normal web or for the general website, strategymeeting.com to grab some time with me. Awesome. Well, based on everything I've heard today, I certainly hope people knock on your door and continue to find you. I think you have a lot of wisdom and not only with IP law, but just with life in general. And I also want to add that LinkedIn is probably my biggest social media platform too. And I actually did an episode of this podcast just devoted to LinkedIn. So that tells you just how much I like LinkedIn. And I actually miss going to LinkedIn local here in the, the Baltimore area. I haven't gone in person. They started doing it again in person, but I haven't gone just because like, obviously right now we still have a, a big COVID issue. So I personally have not gone back to LinkedIn local, but can't wait to go back and 
you know, I could ramble on about that, obviously, for a while. But no, I think it's, it's definitely a great platform, great to connect and uh, ability to meet a lot of people and make a lot or build a great network. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Well, thank you, Devin Miller, so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with little old me on Mark My Words. I really appreciate it. And I should use a little bit of time to just tell people again. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. Come find me. I love talking entrepreneurship and I'm fairly active. I guess depending on my mood right now, I've been a little more quiet with the exception of advertising my show, of course, but I love LinkedIn. I love a good conversation about careers and entrepreneurship. You can find me on Instagram. I have my old school Nimrod 79 handle. I also have a Mark My Words handle, which is Mark My Words 6. I'm also on Twitter. You can find me there. And you know, that's, I guess that's pretty much it for this week's episode. So thanks again to Devin Miller of IP Law. And let me get that right, because that's not completely right. That is Miller IP Law. I'm just looking at that. I could have just said IP Law, and everybody's looking for IP Law. Miller <laughs> IP Law. He is the founder and CEO. He's got a lot of other really great things going on and thank you Gavin and that is it for this week's Mark My Words so thanks for tuning in and I'll be back soon with a new episode bye for now bye